You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. When you risk like this, you don't check the forecast, every day is gonna rain. Yeah, made a brick do a brick, I ain't whip up shit, this pure cocaine. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to episode 121 of 2, 5, and 10. I know we had a little bit of a delay, and hopefully there is not one on your end, on your microphone, in your hearing. It's not going up and down. Benny, what up? The only thing going up and down here should be, you know what I'm talking about, but um, episode 121, I can't believe we're that far ahead. I feel like episode 60... We're going to be talking about pretty much the same thing we're talking about in this episode when it comes to the biggest current story going on in the National Hockey League and the world at this point. Uh, but we also wanted to touch base on some front office and organizational changes that happened north of the border and kind of jump in there because I'm I'm excited. You know, I picked Vancouver. They go on a little bit of a run here this year, and they started off like shit. Now they make the big change for guys who are going to go all in. There's no rebuild here, I think. No, well, I mean, your boy who you picked to be uh, <laughs> Jack Adams Trophy of the Year, not the case anymore. So Travis Green in Vancouver gassed, bring in Boost Boudreaux, and I mean, it, Bruce, there it is, it has taken a new life up north. Yeah, Green fired. So I had him to be the first coach fired two seasons ago, and then he leads the Canucks on a surprise regular season. Uh, everybody's talking him up as one of the best young coaches in the league. Then I finally get on a bandwagon. Oh, yeah, he's going to win coach of the year this year. He gets fired, uh, not even into the new year. So Stay hot, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> Ben Shadamas is on a cold streak here. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, they make the GM change to bring in Jim Rutherford back from the dead. Uh, the guy has nine lives. Uh, so you bring in Rutherford, you bring in Boudreaux. I mean, there's talent on a roster. Uh, the back end on defense might need some changing around a little bit, but they have a pretty good forward group. I like their goaltender. Like, ever since the changes have gone on, last I checked, they won four in a row. Like, they're battling back into the wild card hunt. Um, I still think they have plenty of time to make a run there. But like I said, you don't bring in Boudreaux and Rutherford to tear everything down and start over again, like when Montreal brings in uh, Gordon. So I don't know what Rutherford has in mind, but you do know he's going to be – he's like Dave Dombrowski in baseball. Like you know he's coming in and he's going to be making some big, taking some big swings. Uh, I agree with that completely. Jim Rutherford is one of those guys that uh... – has always been like that. When he is in it, he is in it. It's for the win. And now we go back to Jim Benning, the GM who was fired. And I think one of the things with Benning is when he was here with Boston as the assistant GM, one thing he was known for was his strong drafting. Yeah. And, and if you look at this team, players that they drafted with him are there. I just think the problem ended up being in the end, it was the trades that he made and the free agent signings that he made, none of them worked out for him. And I think that probably ended up being the final Achilles heel. I mean, he brought in Bo Horvat, he brought in Elias Pedersen. And then you look at some of the trades, like the JT Miller trade, when they traded away a first round pick to bring him in, like, yeah, like the player is good, but 
you bailed you bailed Tampa out and gave up the first rounder. You should have gotten a first rounder back from Tampa. Uh, yes, exactly. I remember when we were reading over that one the first time. Like, are we? Re- I, they're like, this has to be a misprint. I think yeah. we're reading it wrong. And then uh, you look with the Connor Garland and the Oliver Eckman Larson deal, but the Larson deal was stupid, and a Tyler Myers deal. And I mean, not not to mention too that original Louis Erickson signing was oh, just. Yeah. Like, I knew he had him in Boston. I knew there was a connection there. But, I mean, for the money he gave Louis Erickson and knowing how far Louis was up on that chart, you know, age-wise, kind of injury-wise, it was kind of like, dude, I know you're connected to the player, but, like, fuck, that's that's <laughs> a little steep. a little bit. Yeah, you know, the, this is still a business. Yeah, and then uh, the Vancouver also fired a couple of the – other front office staff, they fired the assistant general manager. I think the head of player development as well. Uh, they announced today that they hired Derek Clancy as the new assistant general manager of Vancouver, who used to work with uh, Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh. So they have a good work, working relationship there. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, Rutherford is only the interim GM. He's brought in as the hockey operations guy. So they're going to still name a full-time GM, and Rutherford just going to kind of oversee everything. Do you want to take that job if you're a GM and have Rutherford kind of over you? Or are you somebody who, like, if you're a young guy, you're going to take that spot. You'll learn from Rutherford. You're going to have a good coach, talent on the roster, like, pretty good landing spot in my mind. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, I guess it comes down to mentality, right? Like, do, do you think Jim Rutherford wants someone who, in essence, is just like him? Or do you think he wants someone a little bit different who is going to come back and partially rebuild this a little bit differently? So it's almost like uh, you're the cooler head in the room. You know, like Rutherford wants to push X, Y, and Z. And you're like, you know what? Let's definitely push on X. We can wait on Y. And, like, let's touch on Z. So it's just like one of those things where, where it's a middleman almost. I just think that with Vancouver, at least in the past, like they had Trevor Linden in there and he was the president of hockey and like, and then that didn't work out. And for me, I mean, Trevor Linden's a really good hockey mind. And for that to not work out there, there must've been a whole bunch of other things going on. So now you get to Rutherford and yes, I think for a GM, that is new it is a great learning experience if you bring in an older guy i think there could be some clashing there yeah and you look at the list because usually you have guys and you see rutherford's gonna start bringing in guys from pittsburgh he already brought in guys assistant assistant general manager but he's been in a league so long he's gonna know plenty of networking have plenty of networking opportunities bring in a young minded guy i think they do need that benning like you said he was good scouting wise but he was the old school scout right he was looking at it from the gut point of view um there didn't really seem to be too much of a long-term plan it was kind of okay i built this roster for this year okay this we need this for this year okay i'll bring that in next year instead of just having a plan in place and kind of building it out so i think you need to bring in somebody who has more of a vision but also can kind of utilize more of the the cliche here, but the analytical aspect of the sport that's uh, 
kind of built into the game now. I don't think that was much of the case in Vancouver previously. And I know Rutherford's old school, Boudreaux's old school, but at least Boudreaux embraced it in his time previously as much as he can, that dinosaur. Um, so I agree. I think it's going to be somebody young. I haven't heard really any names yet. So I don't know if they're going to hire somebody before the season ends or if they're just going to ride it out with Rutherford and then spend most of the summer taking care of it. Now, one question to you that I have is we brought up age, especially with Rutherford, and now we bring up age with Boudreaux. I mean, do do you think it makes it easier for them to bring in a a younger GM? Or do you think with certain things he's going to kind of be pushed to the side almost in the room? Um. I mean, it's going to depend. I think, to be honest, when it comes to a situation like that where you're working with Rutherford and Boudreaux, you can't bring in a guy who went to Harvard Law School or is not strictly a statistical guy. I think you need to bring in a guy who's played the game. That's how you're going to get the cushion to work within that environment, kind of like that win-now, rebuild-on-a-fly, let's-do-this environment, and have the ability to stand your ground a little bit and say to – Rutherford, we shouldn't be making this deal. We shouldn't be getting, giving this guy away because at the end of the day, Rutherford's won his Stanley Cups. You know, he has the rings on a finger. He's going to be have to be given a reason why his instinct on something is wrong and he's going to have to trust that the guy who brings in there can tell him the truth and trust that he knows what he's doing. And I don't know if Rutherford's the type of guy that's going to see – uh, a law degree and go, okay, I'll listen to you about hockey. So I think they, it might be a former player, whether he made it to the pros or not. I think it's going to be somebody that Rutherford knows from that end of it. So maybe like a Scott Mellonby type, a guy who's oh, yeah, played. Mellonby is out there a- after he left Montreal. <laughs> I-, I do think though, too, like th- they may need a law guy to be that contract negotiator to pull the up comparisons, guy. to be the cap guy. But the other part of it, too, right, is like you said. So Rutherford, with all his experience and all his cups, do you think Rutherford will pull the trump card on the GM, even though technically it's like, who's like this? I always find this funny, right? So you have like a president of hockey operations, then you have a general manager. So my job, if I'm the GM, is to say, okay, I want to make this trade with the team. I go to make the trade and you're like, nope, vetoed it. Don't want that guy. That's like, well, that's that's my job. And you're like, yeah. Well, I'm your boss and we're not doing it. And that's like, so I always feel like that's always like the one sticky hand and like the cookie jar type thing. Like, you know, too many hands in there makes it a little bit of a mess. Yeah, you don't know who you're dealing with, especially if you're in the other organization, right? You're like, okay, I'm negotiating a deal with Ben, but Kevin's the president of hockey operations. I know that. Kevin has the final say so, so why waste my time talking to Ben? You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, or or the other part, it's like say in the past, you know, we were both GMs, now we're both in different ways, and I'm like, no, fuck you, I don't want you dealing with Ben. You're you're not dealing with him. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it just makes it. I don't know. I just feel like there's certain things, but but like you said, I mean, if you're a younger guy, I think it's you, you can definitely get a whole bunch of learning experience from Rutherford. In I mean, the proof is in the pudding with him as to what he's built numerous times. So. Wrapping it up, at least on my end, going back to Boudreaux, if he 
takes Vancouver, and again, I think they have plenty of talent. If he takes Vancouver, maybe even not this year, but next year, and they go on a 100-point pace next regular season, and then they lose in the first round of the playoffs again. Like, there's no way with three different teams <laughs> you're going to get over – you can go to three different organizations, have the same results, essentially, and then – not have that reputation and be like, okay, so it wasn't the situation. It's just wherever you go, that's what happens. Like, I feel like this is Boudreaux, obviously because of his age, probably his last chance, but in terms of his legacy, his last chance to prove that those flame outs of Washington and Anaheim and everything, that's not just because of his coaching style and his uh, game planning. It's just, that was his circumstances. If that happens again in Vancouver, He's fucked when it comes to his legacy. Oh, yeah, he's a great regular season guy, but couldn't get it done. Now, just a question for you. Did you see the hiring of Boudreaux coming? Like, uh, you just think that they went from a newer, younger players coach going to, you know, one of the old school boys that ends up getting recycled in. Do you think the team just kind of needed a swift kick in the ass and a difference in coaching? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the talent's there. Like, I'm still a fan of the Canucks for this year. I still think that they can make a run for one of the wild card spots. Um, I didn't see Boudreaux coming. I thought they would go with a more win-now coach because of the talent that's already there. Uh, so it's just kind of like reshuffling some things and getting a new voice. I did not expect Boudreaux uh, in Vancouver. Like, for some reason, I kept expecting like a more more of a hard ass than Boudreaux. Even though Boudreaux can get nasty, I expected more of like a Tortorella type. Maybe not him necessarily, but I definitely ex- did not expect him to end up there. Now, can we just, you know, just one last thing to touch on. And I was dying when, when I heard it. So the end of his first press conference after the game and, oh, you know, hey, thanks for... <laughs> Ah, fuck, trying to get up. Like, dude, that had me. In, I was <laughs> fucking dying. Hey, you're old, man. Can't get up from a chair anymore. Oh, fucking incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, they've turned it around a little bit. I know it's small sample size here, but it's still mid-December. I think they have plenty of time to turn, turn things around, especially with the way the Western Conference has been shaping up a lot of parity towards the middle and i don't think that a team like vancouver should look at a team like nashville or dallas or anybody in their division like the oilers are falling apart right now and say oh we there's no way we can catch up with them they're just too talented or too far ahead in the standings like they can catch up all those guys yeah i i do feel like right now parity out there is definitely uh uh, it, it could be anyone's game out there. That whole division can shake up rather quickly. I mean, l- looking at it right now, compared to Edmonton, they're only four points away from them. Yeah. So they're pretty close there. So that's the first thing. I know AB's out in Philly as well. Um, we could spend a whole while talking about Philly there. and if The expectations that they had this year were well-placed or not. But before we talk about the Olympics and COVID and everything else going on, do you think AB gets another shot somewhere else within the next five years? Or is five years, kind of a, yes. As a I would. Coach? 
I would say within the next two. I I think uh, this is the weird thing when you look at it, right? So AV in Vancouver, I mean, was there in the long call, very good. I don't, I don't think he was ever questioned. AV in New York, kind of same thing. Couldn't get over the hump though. Couldn't bring you guys to the yeah, president's land. trophy, Stanley Cup final, two conference finals. Yeah, and, and now it's a we've looked at the last two stops that he has here, right? And it's like. Philly just did not work out at all. Yeah. You know, like the whole time he was there, I think it was more of a hope and a prayer that it was going to turn around. I think the lineup that he has had is, uh, listen, I mean, they even made some shakeups over the summer, getting rid of Voracek, trying to switch things around. And even that didn't work. So I think there must be something internally. And I mean, do I think it's AV? No, I, I think he is a good coach, but to not get the most out of the superstars that he had, at least in Philadelphia, and when he went to Philadelphia, this was a team that was coming off of Dave Hackstall, who people believe, you know, was just a college coach and couldn't get it done, and then you bring in a proven guy like AV, and he can't get it done with this group. So I'm starting to think more it's the group there it's than it's the coach. Yeah, yeah, that, and- that's what I'm thinking. I don't think the roster was that great to begin with in the sense of I thought they would be better than what they were. I thought they would be a playoff team this year just because of – I was like, there's no way Carter Hart can be as bad as he was last year. And with A.V., like A.V. just coaches good teams. So, sunk. Yeah, so a little disappointed in it. I think A.V. gets one more shot somewhere. It's going to be a team that is it was a young team. It's kind of like what he had with the Rangers. They were a young team. They kind of plateaued a little bit. They move, move out that coach, and then they bring him in, and he kind of pulls them up to that next level. And maybe he gets them over the hump and wins the final, and maybe he doesn't, but he's that type of guy. Like, you bring in a Tom Rennie, going back to, like, Rangers-centric here, you bring in a Tom Rennie where you need to rebuild everything and create a new environment, teach the guy, young guys. And then when you're ready to turn a corner, you bring in a guy like Ave. <laughs> well, this is what I'm going with. As of right now, I believe end of the season, when we have new GMs in place, I think that Dominique Ducharme gets fired in Montreal, and that's where AV ends up. I mean, it makes sense, right? The French guy. The French connection, baby. Uh, I don't know. Man, I would hate to see him in Montreal just because I like AV. <laughs> I would hate to root against him. Like, I, I'm going to miss, at least for the next little bit, watching a AV coach game and not hearing him yelling from the bench. Uh, you know, it's a, a little bit quieter back there. Hard, so that, hard. <laughs> and then a whistling. <laughs> um, but yeah, on to less lighthearted news. So initially, the idea was we'd talk about the Olympic break coming up and if the players were going to decide to go because the NHLPA still needs to vote essentially on if they're going to move ahead and go to the Olympics this February. And that kind of changed from, are they still going to vote to go because of the restrictions that are in place in China because of COVID to, okay, now that there's starting to be a few outbreaks, what's the process in case somebody tests positive while they're over in China during the Olympics? And now that we know what will happen, which is a quarantine of up to five weeks in China where you have to listen 
to the Chinese officials and the Chinese officials will determine when you're allowed to leave or not. Um, it's not any other government. You're, the NHL won't help you. Bentman won't be able to help you. Now it kind of feels like the players aren't going to go. And Connor McDavid came out today and said um, the processes in place are not very conducive to wanting to go, but he's not going to speak for everybody. Eric Carlson came out and said the quarantine risks are not feasible for NHLers. So I think that right there, the fact that they're coming out, big name guys, and using this type of language, I don't think they're going to the Olympics, which I'm fine with. I would hate to see, you know, McDavid get stuck overseas for five weeks after the Olympics and the Oilers miss the playoffs by two points. You know what I mean? Um but what do you think of the players potentially or most likely not going to the Olympics? Do you care? Um, and then when it comes to those three weeks, they're going to have to still shut down. There's no way they can reschedule games for that those three weeks off because of arena commitment. So it's going to be middle of the season for no reason, three weeks shut down. See, this is the problem is that um, the NHL banked on going back to the Olympics. And now you have that break there. And you know what? At this point in time, uh, like you said, Connor McDavid came out and said it's unsettling that you could be stuck in China for three to five weeks if you get a positive test and you don't, you're not able to test out of it. So now this is what I'm thinking. The NHL should hold their own Olympics. Uh, I'm saying it right now. Go up to Red Deer. Go up to Edmonton. Go up to what you did when you had your own bubble. You bring in these teams. That's where they play. And this is how the NHL can still save face in the sense of we already shut it down. And if the U.S. doesn't go, if Canada doesn't go, if Sweden doesn't go, if Russia doesn't go, it is not worth the NHL, or the Olympics time. If you're not going to have the best players there, it's not worth the time. So I think you could probably hammer out something with the Olympics, and you could stay on this continent in this time zone and keep all of the health precautions that we have in place with vaccinations and everything else to put these players up in a bubble like we did previously that they are now accustomed to. And I think that you would still get the best bang for your buck, and you could put people in the seats. And obviously, if the Olympics says, you, you know, you can't do that, you can't play with our gold, then do a World Cup of hockey. Do it on the fly. Because at this point, you were just going to send people over there. But guess what? ESPN owns the rights now. So yeah. who gives a fuck? You're trying to tell me that you're not going to be able to sell out Edmonton or Calgary or wherever you put this thing? The only issue with that is I've read, I think it was uh, LeBron on The Athletic, he, he floated the idea to Bill Daly about, would you guys do a World Cup of hockey in the, during that break? And they basically said, that's a non-starter. It's not going to happen. They wouldn't be able to bring in the guys. The quarantining that, and the testing involved wouldn't be feasible. And the owners themselves, they don't want to risk their guys getting hurt in a World Cup. There's like no benefit to them. Like They're not going to get revenue, uh, gate revenue from it. Like... They're not going to get extra TV But they're not going to get that from the Olympics either. Yeah, but that was part of the CBA. Basically, that was a concession to the players. Like, okay, we'll, we'll let you go to the Olympics uh, for the CBA. And 
there was a concession. Now, if they they don't if they don't need to send their guys who they're paying handsomely to the Olympics, where they can risk getting hurt, getting stuck overseas, and they don't have to send them anywhere for three weeks, I think that the owners, in a way, looking at it as a business resource, would be perfectly okay with that. My concern is it might be necessary because you see all these games getting canceled, all these players in quarantine. The Bruins, you had uh, Bergeron and Martian go into protocol. You have the Panthers have five players in protocol today. Um, and Carolina had to cancel the game last night. Yeah, Carolina's canceled games. Calgary's canceled games. Uh, it's going to start spreading with game cancellations. And now you're not going to be able to even make it up during the Olympic break. So the regular season is already going to the very end of April. The Stanley Cup is going to be going playoffs into June, late June again. Uh, free agency is already pushed back. You, you can't fit these games in at the end of the year. So now the NHL is looking at it. The first year of a new TV deal, they're not going to be able to play a full season, at least not every team in the league. Um, so it's not a good look. They're not going to be able to make it up. Then I don't think they're going to be able to find a compromise to play something during those three weeks. But the flip side of that is if you're a player and you just got done playing, by the time the Olympics come around, what is it, 60 games played essentially? Should be right part. around yeah, there. 55, yeah. 60. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, shut down. Three weeks. Okay, after three weeks, all right, we're picking right back up. The soft tissue injuries are my concern, especially for goaltenders. I mean, this is what happened last time they went to the Olympics, though. Like, basically, the guys got about a week and a half off, and then all the other guys were still there skating. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I still think that they're going to be close. They might get a week off, week and a half, but then it's back to normalcy, you know? So, I, I just think on that end, nothing too crazy, but the other part is usually guys try to go away. And I think the next part is going to be guys aren't going to be allowed to go to Aruba. Guys aren't going to be allowed to go to the Bahamas for a week. Guys aren't going to be allowed to go to Cabo for a week. And that's what's going to fucking guys aren't going to be able to relax, get away from the game. And then they're going to be stuck. And now it's going to be hockey, hockey, hockey. And that's where I get worried where guys aren't able to recharge their batteries. Like the all-star weekend is one of the biggest weekends in hockey for a, the guys who go there ripping it up and all the guys who aren't going there are going away for a week. So if you're not able to recharge, if you're not able to go to the Olympics, what is it in essence that you can do? Cause like you said, they're not going to put games in that three week block and then they're going to make up games on the other end. Like that's asinine. You, you have to put games in that block that I'm less concerned about because if there was no Olympic break, it would have played straight through anyway. You weren't going to be getting a built in mental break no matter what. You know yeah. What but mean? you would at least have your games scattered a little bit more. Yeah, so you'd that's at least true. be able to put them places. Yeah. Like now, the Rangers what? themselves, they're playing three back to backs in three weeks. So it's a lot of hockey. It's a lot of hockey. But this is the thing, though, right? Like uh, uh, we say it in like humor, but fucking the AHL three and threes are normal. Yeah, that's true. And so, they take buses, uh, man. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? We can't be bitching about back to backs, whether you're home or fucking in a five star. Like, yeah. And then the other thing that's going on is the real world implications of the outbreak. I know we're so focused on games getting canceled or players being protocol missing games 
But the real world implication is Ontario, the province has already announced that they're reducing arena capacity to 50%. Yep, um, starting Saturday. Starting Saturday. This is going to, again, the new variant from everything I've read is more contagious, which is why there's a spike. This is not the same spike as it was in March and April and May of 2020. Like This apparently is more contagious, but with the vaccinations and also just the, the build of the variant, it's not messing people up as bad as the original and the Delta variant. So that's the only blessing, but there's just going to be a spike in cases and you're going to be testing positive and it is more contagious. So the NHL is going to be in a position where there's going to be, I think by the new year, mid January at the latest, the arenas are going to be empty again. And now you have the league who just announced the NHL, the business side of the league has come back strong. The TV deals and the gate revenue, they've increased next year's salary cap by a million, million and a half because of that. And now all of a sudden, boom, new variant, arena's half empty or completely empty, possibly for the rest of the regular season. You don't get a full season gate or playoff gate. I, I don't think that they will allow it in the playoffs. And I know me and you were talking earlier about the flu every year. This time of the year, it kicks up. Last year, it wasn't because everyone was still masked, right? Yeah. But once we got out of it and once we got to the springtime, COVID didn't fucking exist at that point. It, it was game on, balls to the wall. Yeah, I, I especially over the summer, too, of people getting vaccinated. Exactly. So I, I think that right now, just in general, I mean, you got a scratchy throat. You got a little bit of a cough, a little bit of a runny nose. Is it a cold? Is it COVID? Because now you have three of the fucking symptoms. Who knows? But once as the springtime comes around, I mean, I can tell you for sure, if I'm not feeling good, I know the difference between either A, it's my allergies, or B, it's something else. Yeah. So once as people are able to distinguish as to whatever it is, you'll be fine. It's just the, but, the testing. Like, they just need more well, like, I mean, infrastructure around testing. Like, as soon as you start getting symptoms, you get tested. If you test positive, like Pfizer has that new pill that came out that if you take it within the first three days of uh, showing symptoms, it reduces the risk of sickness or hospitalization by like 93%. Like, oh, no shit. Yeah, so like there's treatments already being developed in terms of like, hey, when you get sick, here's the pill that you take. Um, but that requires testing. The only thing that sucks is if you're a sports league, you can't just like bank on that because if Adam Fox gets it in game six and all of a sudden Linger gets it and half the team gets it, who's playing game seven? You know what I mean? Well, well, these are problems that, uh, you know, the NHL, NFL, all these leagues are going to have to deal with. Yeah. And do you put onus part of it on the players? Because you know what? I think the NFL put a thing out the other day that only 12% of the cases that have been produced outside of the massive outbreak that just happened within the last 48 hours, you know, only 12% have happened in their facilities, but the other 88% happened outside of it. So now you're saying, okay, at least they got a handle on shit, right? Yeah. But you don't have a handle on guys when they leave the rink. So if the biggest thing that is going to help me and stop this is wearing my mask out in public, 
But on the other end, I'm saying I'm fully vaccinated. I don't need to. But now I get it, and then I give it to someone in the room or however it is, or we're out together, and then I give it to that person. Like, so you're trying to tell me all I had to do was wear a mask or not go out, but it's like, how are people supposed to live? Yeah. Like, you're going to live in fear forever, but yeah, there's no... this thing is shutting everything down. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. Like, and I get the precautions, and this is coming from somebody who lived in New York City during a peak of New York being the worst hit one of the worst hit cities in the world during 2020. I get it. But I'm not like we have testing that should be even more widely available. We have the vaccines available. Now people are eligible for the boosters. I just got mine on Sunday and uh, I've already synced up to Bill Gates' server. Um, it's just, there's going to be waves. Just like, and I know it's more contagious than a flu. And I know for certain populations, it will fuck you up and harm you much worse than a flu would. Like, I get all that. But for 90% of the world, or at least in our country, I don't want schools to shut down every other month because someone tested positive. Like, we can't go by the positivity rate anymore. That was true early on, but... Just because there's 100 people test positive, but 80 don't show symptoms, and the 20 that do have sniffles doesn't mean, okay, holy shit, we need to shut everything down. No indoor dining, no schools, arenas need to be empty. Like, we can't keep doing this every few months or every winter for the next 60 fucking years. You yeah, know what I mean? Ex- like, it's exactly. not going to happen. And the players getting back, getting this all the way back to the NHL. Yeah, it's not the players, they care about your team care about your own family, care about your own health. But at what, what point does it start becoming like the guys aren't going to play their entire careers getting tested every single day and not being able to leave the hotel rooms on the road? Like that's not feasible either. So, I mean, look how far we've come in the last year in terms of treatments and vaccinations and everything else for people that want it. Think of where we'll be next year in 2023. So it's going to take time and everything else, but it's a rough spot just getting back to the league to be in. We have no Olympics. She can't utilize the break and there's nothing you can do with arena capacity for your team's revenue and the business aspect of it. And if you're a player, you got to be worn the fuck down now, man. Like I know they have it easy. They're millionaires. They play sport for a living, but they went to a bubble and then they played in front of no fans and they get tested every three days or every two days. And now it's going to go half empty again for some arenas or probably most arenas at some point. Now they're going to have to get tested every day. Now they're going to be required to get the booster. And it's just like you can't leave the hotel room. If you go abroad or you go to the Olympics, you could possibly be quarantined for five weeks. It's like, holy shit, man. Like, what the fuck? Dude, legitimately, it, it just it does not end. It, it is constant. It, it, now that it's here, it's here forever. Yeah. And that's what I was telling people the it's other day. It's endemic now. It's Yeah, it's not going anywhere. We're here. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. We we fucked that chicken. <laughs> Remember that saying? <laughs> uh, we, we fucked that chicken a long time ago when we didn't get uh, mitigation in place in mid-2020. And 
I don't think that has anything to do with politics. I just think as at a policy level and at a, a, for a healthcare level, we lost our opportunity to kind of squash COVID as being any type of thing that we had to live with. But like you said, now it's here. I'm sure the league has the top medical experts kind of advising them on how to proceed, how to test, how to mitigate situations. But what do you do when half your league is in COVID protocols? <laughs> yeah. So games are going to start getting canceled here. And you obviously don't want fans coming to the arena and then 16,000 people go to a home game in Winnipeg and all of a sudden 8,000 of them end up getting COVID. So it's a rough spot. I think this just goes to show, like, you got to be smart no matter what you're doing. But at the end of the day, like, you have two young kids, you have Redder. You're, you're not going to bunker down in your fucking house for the next 30 years. Like, yeah, you can't do it. Impossible. Yeah. Not Impossible. here, pal. And I'm not, I'm not spending the rest of my 30s in New York City, in my opinion, still the best city in the world, living in my apartment and just staring at the wall going, oh, okay, well, I can't go out past 11 because COVID might get me at 11.15, but it won't get me at 10.45. And Oh, I forgot my mask. I can't go on a subway, so I have to walk six miles home. Like, it's, Dude, let's go. It, let's do this. Yeah, I I hear that. So I know that's that last sec- segment was a little not too much hockey related. Some hockey in there, but I think at this point, you and I are just like frustrated as all hell about it's going on two years since this all started when the league shut down and we shut down. We didn't record for almost four or five months. Um, had nothing to talk about well end of the world shit right like when this first happened we had that we recorded an episode and then especially like where we live like new york city and boston and northeast like hard hit areas it was eerie as shit it was scary here and i was like there's no way i can just bullshit about hockey for no reason every every week while this is going on and like feel like i'm not being disingenuous about it and, but now it's like two years later and say, like, all right, like Kim, we know what we should be doing. Let's go. Yeah. I, I thought we were past this. Yeah. Um, maybe we should have Rudder on next week as our uh, health advisor. Our health advisor. Oh, yeah. You know, that's not a bad idea. I should <laughs> call her down here. Um, but yeah. So moving back to strictly hockey related talk, um, we can get into our weekend review for the Bruins and the Rangers. Um I'll go first. I know you went first last time. I don't want you to always make you go first for the Bruins. Uh, I like keeping mine short and sweet for the Rangers side of things. You know, they had that really good hot streak. They've been playing really well. I think they still have the fourth best point percentage in the entire league. Um, most of that in their early going was based on goaltending, mostly Shesterkin. Then the team started rounding into form, especially defensively. But lately, as soon as the calendar turned to December, even though we had some wins such early on, we beat Philly, we beat the Sharks, we beat the Blackhawks back-to-back, um, our offense is kind of stagnated. And it's a problem when your leading scorer scores 85% of his goals on a power play from three feet out in front of the net. Like, that's not really sustainable. Um, this month alone, the Rangers have scored three or more goals only three times in eight games and we've played buffalo we've played the sharks and we played chicago twice not exactly uh defensive stalwart teams there uh we lost nashville on sunday 
uh, one nothing. That was a well played game. Nashville is very good defensively and very big. They're going to be a tough out when it comes to the playoff chase. And if they make the playoffs, they're not going to be an easy team to get rid of. They still don't have the offense to, to compete. To be honest, like there's nothing. There's nothing there. They're struggling with that. Yeah. yeah. So Colorado fucking rolls us, man. <laughs> we played them twice in the last week. They beat us by a combined score of eleven to five. Um, again, both games with Georgiev and Net. Uh, well, the first game was with poor Adam Huska. First career game gets to start at MSG against the Avalanche. Fucking gets lit up for seven goals. <laughs> but I mean, the offense has been struggling. The issue is we didn't have a lot of depth to begin with, and then. Some guys have slumped. Uh, we lost Sammy Blade for the year with that ACL injury because of the hit with Subban. But you look at Kako, who had a good little hot streak, and you look at Lafreniere. Lafreniere is averaging the least time on ice on a team this season. He's averaging 9.38 under Gallant. And they asked Gerard, I think after the Nashville game, about Lafreniere, like, do you think that's even good for his development to get such a little ice time? And he goes, I'm here to win the Stanley Cups, not develop. He's, he's, Interesting. He's like, if a guy's not playing well, he's not fucking playing. So that's the second time Lafreniere has been called out by Gallant indirectly this year. Gallant's never called out Kako, even, even though Kako is similar production, because, you know, Lafreniere had that fight against the Islanders. Like, the team loves him. Like, it's not like... He's not putting in the effort. It's just for some reason, man, his offensive game, he's mostly playing on a third line, no power play time. He's playing with Heedle and uh, Goth, uh, Julian Gauthier. There's just no click there. And you're not going to put – he can't play on the right side. He's not comfortable there. So you're not going to supplant Kreider or Panarin for him on the left side. So where does he play? So it's just an odd fit there. Same thing with Kako. Uh, they moved him off of the Panarin line, even though that line was playing well. And ever since that happened, the Panarin and Shom line have kind of dropped down a little bit. Kako's game has disappeared. Um, and Galan even said, he's like, the worst thing a coach can have is too much time because then he starts diddling with the lines. <laughs> um, so they just got to figure out the offense. They're, they're probably going to make a deal. I don't know if it's going to be for a winger or a third line center because Philip Heedle, this is his going on his fourth year of the Rangers playing him at center. I don't know. They still don't know if he's a center. They don't know if he's better on a wing. So maybe they give up on that experiment. They bring in a 3C, move Heedle to the top six on the right side, or they keep him on the third line and bring in a top six winger. Who knows? The Rangers have options, but if they're going to continue to push for a high playoff spot and make a run, they're going to need to bring in some offensive help. Defensively, Jacob Shubra is having a monster year. Six goals in a year. Every game, he's just fucking railroading somebody uh, with a clean, open ice hit. McKinnon against the Avalanche. Uh, Jujakar against the Blackhawks. And then Nashville was uh, Kunin. Just laid him the fuck out. So he's having a monster year. Fox is being Fox leading the league in scoring among defensemen, leading the league among defensemen in assists. Uh, the worst player, the worst defenseman on the Rangers right now is uh, Keandre Miller, and he's a 21-year-old guy, so he's going to struggle a little bit. But maybe you want to give him a breather. Shesterkin's still out. Uh, he might be back for the game against 
uh, Montreal, which is next week, just because of the way the schedule works. Um, but yeah, to be honest, I, it's just a different feel around this team in terms of even when we're struggling, it feels like the confidence is still there, which wasn't the case the last couple of years under Quinn. It was like, as soon as something went wrong, it was like, a, oh, fuck, here we go. Now it's like, okay, we're not scoring. We're going to have to win this game one nothing. We can do that too, or we can kick your ass 6 nothing. So I just kind of like the mentality around a team. I just think they need a little more, uh, more of a talent infusion up front uh, to help them along the way here. And I'll end it with, man, don't you think that Vitaly Krasov regrets pouting about going to Hartford and then running off to Russia? He would be play- he'd be playing on a first line right now with Kreider and Zibanejad. Instead, he's playing in a KHL for the rest of the regular season because I don't want to go to Hartford for the second time in his career. Like, what a selfish little fuck. Anyway, there we go. Are, are you surprised you guys haven't traded him yet? What's his value? You know, we tra- we drafted Lee, uh, Lee Anderson seventh overall. We traded him for nothing to the Kings. So that was a waste of a top 10 pick. Kraftsoff is drafted ninth overall. We're going to trade him for pennies on a dollar. Like two top 10 picks wasted. And then you follow it up with Lafreniere at one, Kako at two, and both of those guys have un- underperformed for multiple years now. The Rangers walk away after having a first overall pick, a second overall pick, a seventh and a ninth, and all four guys flame out. Like, holy fuck. Like, I've never, the Rangers never got the first overall pick ever. They, they never drafted as high as number two when I got Kako for like 30 or 40 years. They finally get it back-to-back years during the middle of a rebuild. And our luck, it will be the guys who are like, oh, they're supposed to be not Conor McDavid level, but like all-star players, and they're nothing. So I don't know what's going on with Lafreniere and Kako, man, but this is year three for Kako and year two for Lafreniere, and I, I see nothing from these guys outside of effort. And Alexander Day gave you effort. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's going on with these guys. I didn't... I do not want Patrick Stefan on my fucking team. I don't need two of them either. I love it. <laughs> I, I love I love the fierceness. <laughs> but how are your bees doing besides, you know, the whole COVID outbreak now? Uh, besides the COVID outbreak <laughs> now, I, I mean, this team is, it, it's very interesting to me watching this team, right? Because we go out west and i'm thinking all right we need to beat vancouver because we're going to lose to edmonton and calgary so we lose to vancouver in a shootout and then on the very next night we beat edmonton in regulation three to two and then we beat calgary on the saturday night four two and you're like fuck five out of six points very crucial at least in this you know this setting and then we come back last night and get absolutely shit kicked by Vegas. And it's like, ah, is it COVID? Is it not? This team, it's not good. I mean, without Brad Marchand, there's a lot of holes in this lineup anyways. And then we get to Taylor Hall, who... Without David Krejci, has not done yeah, a thing. Yeah, what a huge disappointment. Has not done a thing. And obviously, I mean, we could point to the center he's playing with in Charlie Coyle. Charlie Coyle has not ha- had the best of seasons either. And then we look at that right wing with Craig Smith. And I like Craig Smith as a player. But I, I wonder if 
the guys need someone more there who's not just like uh, more of a danger offensively. Like yeah. Craig Smith, he's going to go to those dirty areas. He's going to four check hard. He's going to go to the net. But do these guys need more of either A, a playmaker, or B, uh, like Taylor Hall is an alleged sniper. You, you know, he came in here as an MVP of the of the league previously, did it with the team in New Jersey where he didn't have any help. And now he's here, and it, it, it's almost like, I don't want to say a lost cause, but, it, you know, he had such a good showing last year with Krejci, and now that's gone. Um, Can I ask they, really quick? Yeah. When was the last time you guys brought in a forward from outside the organization and he exceeded expectations? I mean, maybe fucking Jerome Aginla. I was thinking him or Recky, right? Yeah, I, I mean, Recky was par for the course at his age. Just go to the net, tip and pucks. I, I think he more completely transformed the locker room for us. Okay. But, um, yeah, I, I'd say Aginla, and I don't even think... Aginla really surpassed expectations. I think he did what we thought he was going to do. But I, I don't think he really completely blew it out of the water. But, I mean, pff, yeah, last time we brought a forward in that exceeded expectations, I honestly couldn't even tell you. Because I feel like the last few years especially, like our podcast could just be called as the Bruins turn. Like it's like, okay, we're bringing in Coyle, disappointment. Okay, we're bringing in Smith, disappointment. Okay, we're bringing in... Felino disappointment. Okay, it's Hall disappointment. DeBrus disappointment. I... Yeah, it, it's it seems like the only consistency we have is our top line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our top line, and then if the top line's not going, we're in serious trouble. And you know, Brad Marchand, you know, he missed the three games with suspension, came back, played a game, and now back out now in the protocol. Awesome. Um. Bergeron out on protocol. He's another guy that I, I don't want to say has been disappointing this year, but I, I think he's gotten a little bit older. I think he's a little bit more beaten up. And then we go to David Pasternak, who has not even been remotely close to the poster of before. And I mean, could this be a mental thing with what has previously happened in the off season with lo- losing the newborn baby and everything else? Yeah, yes, I'm sure there's some mental wear on him as well. I'm not naive to that. But at the same time, it it, it doesn't even look like the same pasta out there. It just kind of looks like we're in a lull. And it, you look in the bottom of the lineup and fucking... Uh, the, our bottom guys were supposed to be a lot better. And uh, the only one, I think, who has given us a legitimate fair shake and look every night i'd say he's probably fucking thomas no sick on that bottom six yeah felino is like i know he's a little bit older the game of style of game he plays age-wise he's still youngish but just because the the game he plays he it's going to age harsher i think he's been disappointing just being in a position where he's not carrying a third or fourth line at this point yeah, no, agreed completely. And I mean, we also brought in Hala, and I mean, he he's been splitting time between playing in the press box as being healthy scratched. So, um, I think it's more frustrating than anything. And it's like, you know, are these guys playing to their potential? No, they're not. But at the same time, is I cannot realistically look at this team and say this is 
a good team or a deep team. Like, I loved the additions that we made, but I did not see the team or anticipate the team to look like this. I mean, yeah. I mean, Taylor Hall completely right off the, the face of the earth. Charlie Coyle not helping anyone's case. And then I thought the bottom six was going to be better, and we're not. And not even a little bit. And I, I think that is also part of the problem. That's kind of what hurts the D end. I mean, Mike Riley, a guy who we brought in last year at the trade deadline, who when he came in was shot out of a cannon, and, and he looked great. Now he's been scratched the last two games for the likes of John Moore, who's been down in Providence. Mm. So it, it's not a good career path when you're getting scratched with John Moore. Yeah, I mean, he, he <laughs> before um, oh my God, before Zaboro got hurt, I mean, he was getting scratched for him too. So it's like we signed a lot of guys to two-year deals in the off season, and. It just seemed like now we're just wasting space. It seemed like the Riley signing was a waste of space. Um, it seemed like Felino for two years waste of space. Seems like the same thing with Halla. Or Halla might have been the only one year. I think Nosick was two, and that's fine. But like, we really have to figure this out. Uh, Sway did not have a good game last night, but previous to that, I thought him and Olmark were playing pretty good. The goaltending has been, you know, just simply okay, not spectacular, not lackluster, just okay. And let's see as to what exactly we get in these next couple of weeks. Because I, I, I'm not at the point of like a, a turning point in the season. I, I think right now this team is a bubble playoff team. And then if they get into the playoffs, I, I think they're probably out in the first round. That's just kind of what what I see. Okay. Um, it's just weird to be in a position where the Bruins are because they have a few games in hand, but you look at them like, okay, they're firmly in the uh, wild card hunt at this point. I don't think they're going to be catching Florida or Tampa or Toronto. But with the reputation of the team, has like, oh, man, as a wild card team, nobody's going to want to play them. But then, like you just said, you kind of dig into it a little bit and like, if the team pretty much stays the same roster-wise as it is now, as you head into the playoffs, like, yeah, you're scared of that first line. McAvoy's elite, but what else scares you, you know? No, I, I agreed completely. I mean, contain Marshan and contain McAvoy, and I think you got a good chance at winning. Um, I, I've read, and I mean, who knows what is or what isn't, you know, they'll, they'll be very surprised if you see Eric Holland in a Bruins jersey by the end of the season. He's going to be shipped out. Uh, they are actively shopping Jake DeBrusque. I, I don't know as to what they see as the return on that deal. I, I think that's still, you know, TBD. Round pick. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, at that point, it's like, you know, do, do you take shit for shit if you see somebody else who's out there and who's kind of having a tough go at it? Do you bring them in and you know, ship out Jake. Um, I just wonder if there's a deal there somewhere where, I mean, you can get rid of Hala, Coil, and DeBrusque. I mean, not all in one, but if you can kind of ship them out there accordingly, maybe about, you can bring uh, something back. DeBrusque to Chicago for Dylan Strom. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I mean, <laughs> just well, get Strom well, off the center, put him on a wing, see what he does. Yeah, I mean, at this point, what 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 would the difference be? Yeah. 
you know, it's not like we're losing anything. So, um, going back to trade talk because you know that's our favorite thing to ever talk about here. I think if the Rangers do bring in uh, help for the top six or top nine, anyway, you know, I see some of the Ranger writers talking about like, oh, maybe it's like Yarncroke from Seattle, like guys who are nice role players who you might catch lightning in a bottle and have a good run here or there. I think with Gallant in tow here and with the mandate that was essentially handed down at the firing, they're going big fish, uh, big fish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Here's the two guys. I think one of these two guys are going to be in a ranger uniform by the end of the deadline, Joe Pavelski or Phil Kessel. I'd love to see Pavelski there. Put Pavelski on a wing with Panarin and Strom, the big body guy who does all the forechecking and goes to the front of the net. Like, fuck yeah, man. I mean, Joe Joe plays hard. Yeah. Too. Like, he plays a hard game. For right hand shot, bit. power play. So you get him on one power play, Kreider on the other. There you go. Can, can, can I give you a hot take? Yeah. If the NHL does indeed go to the Olympics this year, I think that with the game he has played the last couple of weeks, Jacob Truba has find himself as that seventh D in wood play. I I mean I would hope so. I'm surprised he's not named Captain of the Rangers to start the year, especially now. Like, I, I just think like I, I saw the initial thing for uh defensemen and it seems like the defensemen are very soft, you know, there's McAvoy, there's Fox. Yeah, they don't have like Joan, that gritty Joan, they don't have that meat there and the US, you know, management team between Bill Guerin and I'm sure Brian Burke has his hand in it. They're going to want some meat and I think that they would be calling for the big fella. I'm telling you, man, like this is the I don't think anybody thought that when we got Truba, you were getting a Norris Trophy guy or a guy who's going to put up 50-60 points in a year and be like an elite all-around number 1 guy. But this is the guy we thought we were getting. A legitimate number two, number three guy on a Stanley Cup contender. Right-hand shot. You can shoot it from the blue line. But it's just, I call it the Ronald Reagan defenseman in the sense of the Russians thought Reagan was just crazy enough to push the fucking button. And it kept the Russians in check, right? Yeah. I think teams look at Truba and go, he's just crazy enough to lose his fucking shit on the ice. Like, Reeves scares you because he can pound you into the ice. Truba scares you because you don't know what the fuck you're going to get. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, those three hits were just like, if we talk about it, right? The NHL this past week did not hand out any suspensions to Jacob Truba. And who was the guy in Florida who laid out the other one? Oh, Lumber. Yeah, you texted me that. You had the uh, hot take on that. Yeah, so. The big hit on Joey McDonald. Yes, like all I'm saying is. We have given the NHL safety department, you know, a whole bunch of shit. And now these hits have come out and they have given out no supplemental discipline. And I think the NHL is finally realizing partially as well. A, these hits need to stay in the game. But B, shit like that is what puts people in the seats. That put asses in the seats. Not Junjun Carrier getting carried off on a stretcher, not McDonald, the same thing. But hard checking, like Clean those, hits. like 
clean hits. Fucking Truba on McKinnon. I mean, Truba didn't have to. He he took one step and stepped into him and laid him out and laid him out. Like, he didn't even have to stride. I mean, the the Kara one. I mean, Jun Jun. He he took about a step or two and came into him. Yep. And it's like I think people need to realize that you know people discuss about football being you know the toughest sport and everything else. Like, have you seen these car crashes on ice? <laughs> like, have you seen them? And that's Guys the, are out before they hit the ice. Out. And that's the thing with Truba. So the, the hit on Kara, you can tell when they were attending to him on the ice, Truba was sitting on a bench. You can tell he was impacted by it. Like, he was worried. Because Truba's not a dirty player. Like, he wants – he doesn't want to see anybody getting hurt. Like, 98% of the guys in the league are like that. Like, they don't want to see – Guys getting hurt. Like, it's a brotherhood. But it was a clean hit. And then he ends up fighting later in the game uh, with, I think it was Carpenter, right? I forget who he was. Uh, I forget who it was. But, yeah, one of them jumped him a little bit. Yeah, and then Truba handled him. And yeah. then against Colorado, he lays out McKinnon with a clean hit. And then he looks right over at Landeskog, and he just goes, all right, let's go. Jobs the and fights him. Like, and I not, loved that too. Yeah, he's not one of the guys who's going to make a even. Like you see guys who hit a guy dirty, like board from behind, face into the dasher boards, and then they won't drop the gloves, and that's bullshit. Truba's like, he says after the game, he's like, I don't see a reason why I have to defend myself for a clean hit every single time, just because you don't like it. He's like, but I understand that if a guy, you know, squares up and he respects the game enough to challenge and give me time to drop the gloves i'll square up with him to, to galant's telling him like hey pal listen we kind of need you out there you can't <laughs> you, you can't keep laying people out every time and then getting five with it too yeah. like like because i mean he didn't get penalized on any of those hits nope. no, no nothing called on the ice nothing reviewed for a major everything was good and clean shoulder across the board. To the, yep. to, shoulder to the shoulder or shoulder to the chest that there was head contact but it wasn't the principal principal point of contact. There was no targeting. The and thing... those hits too are straight up. Th- yeah. Those are the hits that I like. It's not on an angle where you're gonna hit them in the head or anything and like then they that. They can first. get twisted around and land face first or head first on the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, straight through them. And the only thing I'll say about the lumber kid is, I thought that was a little bit of a charge, man. He took like four, uh, five, six strides to lay him out. I thought the same thing looking at it, but this is my only beef sometimes with a charge, right? So if I'm coming in hard on a four check and then kind of like the Lumberg thing where, you know, the puck kind of popped out to to that D at an awkward spot, you know, he gave him that pass from behind the net. I'm already on my four check coming down the boards. And I don't want to say the onus is on that other defenseman there, but yeah, it's like, give him a heads up. That's you what I can't, thought, you can't give him that suicide pass. If I'm coming in that hard on a fucking four. Yeah. McDonald's as a different, because I play defense most of my life. He didn't even know someone was coming on a four check the way he was handling that puck as a defense partner. Where's the head, head, head something yeah. to let him know. Like, Hey, sidestep hit coming here. Like, the fact yeah. that he got laid out, like, I've, I need to look at the video again and see who was on the ice with him. But if, if I was on Colorado, like, yo, I'm not playing on his fucking pair anymore. Yeah, yeah, D to D. Back to D. Back to yeah. D. And then the last thing before we get into game of the week, lock, lock of the week, 
in two sentences or less, thoughts on the uh, Milano goal with the flip pass over the net? I loved it. Um, as a guy or as a kid who grew up playing hockey, I mean, I used to work at the rink. I used to have plenty of uh, open ice. I, I used to try shit like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, coming from flipping up over the net or if we had a goalie, I would always try to shoot pucks from awkward angles, just from goalies would never see them and things like that. Um, I do put part of it on Buffalo in the sense of you allowed him that much time behind the net, so you can't be upset that he flipped one, alley-ooped one over. Uh, You you don't want him to do it. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like if if they gave him that much time, they knew it was either going to be the Michigan because he was going to flip it up or, I mean, something like that. So – I think that's on Buffalo. You don't like it? Go back there and stop it. Fucking tomahawk chop him and take the two minute slash. And listen, was it cool? Sure. Do I think it's good for the game? I'm not so sure. <laughs> oh, t- I-, I was listening to Torts when he said that, and I'm going, Torts, not for nothing, right? Like, I understand you're an older guy, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? If someone did that when Torts was coaching the Rangers, What's happening that next shift? Oh, they're laying that guy out. I, then do it. Yeah. But then do it. Hey, you don't you don't like the way it was handled? Then take care of it on the ice. Yeah, I mean, when he's like, I see kids out there on video doing it. Like, that's not the proper way to play the game. Listen, as long as you're not purposely injuring an opponent and you're not doing something outright disrespectful in a sense of like, like you talk about the whole Martian and Panera thing. I didn't think that crossed the line, but obviously it, it did. And apparently that's a huge thing for Russian players, which I did not know. Did Martian know that? Who knows? But but, probably. Yeah. Probably. But there are certain things you don't say that crosses the line. You obviously don't have intent to injure if you're a respectable player in the league. But the whole goal of this sport is to score more goals than the other team. That's that's my point. Like, <laughs> like and if you're going to be able to score a goal, like if that happened in the playoffs in the game seven and that won a series, is Tortorella still going to be like, don't do that again? Fuck no. You just won the series. Like, I don't think it was – it was disrespectful in a way of like that's how little they think of Buffalo where they're like, okay, this is where we can try this out in the game situation. <laughs> but – if I was on Buffalo, I would just be annoyed at that, that they think, oh, you think you can showboat against us? I wouldn't be mad that they did it. You know what I mean? But I mean, they, they should have jumped them then right after the goal. Yeah. But, I mean, how, that video alone on YouTube got like 6 million views in two days. Like, that's one of the biggest plays the league has had for this generation and God knows how long. And then you have Tortorella, who I still love, being like, is it good for the game? Yeah, dude, exposure is good. We're on Sports Center now. We're on ESPN. They want highlights. Like <laughs> uh, that, but you know that's what it is though. That that's just fucking Tortorella to a T. Just some things will never change. And that's him doing his role. Like they want him to be the contrarian, the old school guy, and he's playing his role. So uh, I don't think anybody should be annoyed at him either, or take it too seriously. Like it's entertainment. Like yeah. of course he's going to say that. It's the game. But anyway, so. Who do you got? Game of the week, lock of the week. I know it's a Wednesday night, so we have limited action here. But I have two games of the week, both on Saturday night. I have Toronto at Vancouver. Uh, Toronto's playing. I mean, Vancouver's kind of hot since Bruce took over, so I think that'll be a good one. The other game I have is Tampa at Colorado. I I think that game will probably be. 
uh, another one of those, uh, another one of those uh, good ones. Where the hell was my lock of the week? I had it up here. Please hold. Oh, the stupid thing. Where the hell did it go? I, I had all three lined up. Hold on, hold on. It's coming. That's what. That's what I tell her. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. it's gonna appear. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, that was my lock of the week. My lock of the week was Vegas at the Islanders on Sunday. Who are you picking? Vegas. Okay. Um, I was going to go Tampa and Colorado, too, for game of the week. If there's one game you watch this week, even including your own favorite team, this is the only game you want to watch this week. Like mm-hmm. Both teams are rolling. It's going to be a very, very good game, potential Stanley Cup preview. Um, let me find a different game of the week now. I said I like choosing the same one as you. I, I ruined it. I'm sorry. We're gonna have to like text them before. <laughs> we don't. Uh... I'm gonna do. I mean, Florida at mini is probably not a bad game on Saturday either. Yeah, I was thinking that Florida at Minnesota is my game of the week. My lock of the week is going to be Ottawa at Philly. The boys are rolling. You know what? I'm gonna go out on Olympia. I mean, earlier in this episode, I talked about team confidence, right? Yeah. I'm going. Rangers at home on Friday against the Golden Knights, guaranteeing a Rangers win. I like it. All right, so who do you got for shout-outs? Shout-outs this week. Um, I have to give a shout-out to the new, uh, the newly married Mr. and Mrs. Eisner. Uh, we had a fantastic time at that wedding. Another uh, one bites the dust. Oh, dude, right. <laughs> Uh, I'm telling you, for for a guy like myself who does not uh, get to partake as much anymore, it's like, dude, full green light both nights. Got after it. <laughs> Did, proud of Big Daddy. Uh, next shout out I got is the Strat Daddy himself. Uh, Redder was home on Monday, and uh, I get a text message from her going, "Why is the town here?" And oh I'm shit! Like, They're taking a kid away. Finally, I'm like, huh? Like, what the fuck's <laughs> going on? And then she goes, it's not the town, it's Stratty. Stratty shows up with the whole landscaping crew and hooks a brother up with a cleanup. So something that I've been meaning to do and hadn't got to. Uh, completely surprised, did not ask for, did not anything. So thank you to the Strat Daddy. Dinner is on me tomorrow night. At the 99s? I gave him an option of wherever he wanted to go. He did state the 99 could be in play. So right. if we do go there, I will hook the big fella up with a nice uh, prime rib. I know he's a fan of those. He Look, can have all, he can have my horseradish, though. I'm not touching the horseradish. If you guys go to 99s, you got to order maybe just a side order of the chicken fingers and send me a photo. I love those things. Uh, I'll hook you up with the <laughs> – do you just go the uh, – do you go the gold fever or just plain? Gold fever, man. Oh yeah, it is good. Just pour I miss it all the ninety nine. That's one of the few things I miss about Massachusetts. <laughs> they're 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 consistent. You you go to all of them. They all taste the same. It's all the yep. same. Like it's good. I remember the last time I visited. You're like, what do you want to do? I was like, is there ninety nines around here? Forget <laughs> right on Main Street, yep. buddy. Let's go. Um, but yeah, that's why Strat Daddy, Strat Daddy. So he always takes care of you, no matter who you are. He does always take care. That's not a question. So. Um, shout outs for me this week. I'm going to go, uh, shout out to my brother who I think I mentioned moved back up to New York after being down in Florida for shit, 17 years, at least 15, probably like 15, 16 years. He was in Florida, moved back up to New York, um, spent time with him over the weekend with our dogs hanging out. 
um, just shooting the shit, having a good time catching up, which is always good. Um, and then I'm, I'll take this time, instead of giving a shout out to say, if you're eligible, even if you're unsure, just get the fucking booster. Think of your family. If you have kids, think of your kids. Just bite the bullet. Bill Gates doesn't care what you're up to. Your arm's not going to be magnetic. You're going to be okay. You not getting a, a vaccine does not make you George Washington in a Boston Tea Party, okay? Relax. I, I will say this, though. When they tell you that your arm is going to be sore for the next couple of days. Oh, they like, mean it, man. Dude, holy shit. <laughs> when, when I got the booster, I got it on the week of Thanksgiving. I, and then the next, so I got it on Monday. The next day I was doing a catch. Like, I couldn't even move my fucking left arm. I'm like, yep. what the fuck is going on And here? I sleep on my stomach with my arms, like I form a triangle, and I put my hands together underneath the pillow. Oh, so you got to, like, push up to get up? Yeah, well, even just, like, spreading my right arm out in that position, I couldn't do that for, like, three nights because of the soreness. Like, I had limited range of movement um, in my right arm. Like, yeah, it was sore for, like, three, four. Today was the I got it on Sunday. Today was the first day where I had almost regular movement in the arm. So, but still, that's a little small price to pay to make sure you're taken care of, your family's taken care of, don't be silly. I was going to say, I bet you can't wait for after this show, go and crank one out with that <laughs> arm back to the full motion there. Dude, just because I shoot righty doesn't mean I pull lefty. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just saying. I mean, I, I crank them out lefty, but that's fine. Hey, listen, once we're done recording here, I got the Rangers losing to the Coyotes that I got to watch. Oh, to the Yotes. Oh, God bless. <laughs> but that's, that's it for me, except for... Uh, my cutie pie behind me here, Kobe, chewing on a gingerbread uh, chew toy thing. Dang, girl. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, thank you as always. We're hoping that our audio is loud and clear and not, as, yeah, I was going to say not wavy. And if that works, you know, we might be able to keep this train rolling. And uh, we appreciate the feedback for letting us know and, you know, sometimes letting us know too much. You know, it, it hurts a little bit, but yeah, that's all good. Up. <laughs> you know, I didn't ask for all of it, just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will catch you guys next week for another action-packed episode of 2, 5, and 10. And with this new system, I'm going to give Benny just one second to make sure we know how to stop it and everything it. else. You got, uh, Benny's locked a little. I don't have to worry about anything. Just with that, Benny's going to hit you with it. Bye-bye. I'm about to lose my mind. You've been gone for so long. I'm running out of time. I need a doctor. to bring